Thank you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, we pray that you would speak to us. Um, uh, educators, challengers, inspirers, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Come to that passage in a moment, but first I'm going to read from uh, Psalm 1. At the beginning of the book of Psalms, Psalm 1, verses 1 to verse 3. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. I love that image of a tree uh, planted beside a stream, uh, bearing fruit, having uh, green leaves, being uh, healthy and vibrant, uh, prospering. And it's an image that appears in different places throughout the Bible. It's a picture of a life demonstrating the blessing of God. Blessed is the first word of the first verse. Blessed is a righteous person. Verse 2 tells us the secret of that blessing. The righteous man delights in the law of the Lord. He meditates on his law day and night. The same word, law, is used twice. And it's the Hebrew word, Torah. It could be translated instruction or direction. And there are some words here together that don't often come together, at least not in our minds. Delight and direction. Love and law. Is it really so surprising that God directs us for our delight, that he offers instruction not to curb our joy, but to cultivate it, that he gives us his gift of the law, not as a means of curtailing our flourishing, but of enabling our flourishing. If the word Torah sounds familiar, it's because its meaning is much broader than just uh, law also refers to the first five books of the Bible. And those books do contain specific laws as to how God's people should relate to him and to each other and to the world around them. Laws about how they should worship, how their life should be ordered, how they should uh, uh, um, look after things like crime and punishment, how they should trade with one another. But those books also contain much more than simply commands. They also contain the story of how God created the world. Of how God called Abraham and said that he would be a blessing, a blessing to many nations. And many people would know themselves blessed through him. It tells a story about how God was present with his people in their sufferings in Egypt about how he saved them and freed them and led them through the wilderness. 
of how he established them in the promised land. A land where as a people, they'll be planted like a tree. They'll be safe to set down deep roots. They would bring forth fruit. They would be blessed and would prosper. We're in a sermon series at the moment where we're considering whole life discipleship. What it means to be a follower of Jesus in every area of her li- our life. And we're thinking this morning about wisdom for the whole of life. If God is interested in the whole of life, if, as we heard a couple of weeks ago, all things were made through Christ and all things were made for Christ, then it follows that the law of the Lord is going to guide us in the whole of life. That God is going to give us direction for the whole of life. That God will give us wisdom to live life rightly. That he will show us where his blessing is to be found in every area of life. That he'll help us to unlock the secrets of uh, prospering and bearing fruit in every place of life, in every season of life. His law will guide us and direct us. His law will be a blessing to us, enabling us to flourish and to be fruitful. And not just the Torah, but the whole of his word to us. Those blue books before you, your uh, black Bibles at home, your uh, scriptures on your phone. All scripture, Paul tells Timothy, is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So how does scripture do this? How does it address the whole of life? How does God guide and direct us through it in every area of life? You have to be Einstein to realise that we live in a world that is centuries away from the world of the Bible. We live in a world of genetic engineering, a world of globalisation, the new physics of corporate governance. Many of the questions we're looking for guidance and direction on, many of the areas where we're seeking wisdom, are actually very personal and specific to us. What should I do with my life? What course should I study at university? Who should I marry? Where should I buy a house? What career should I follow? Should we have a gas hob or an electric hob? Dilemmas for all of us. But the scriptures direct us and they shape us. They direct us in that they give us commands. The important commands are very clear. Do not kill. Do not commit adultery. Love your neighbour as yourself. But if we think of God's word to us as simply being commands, then we miss out on the richness that is there on Scripture. 
God speaks to us, speaks to us by shaping us. He seeks to shape our imagination, to inspire us and challenge us. He shapes us through the stories of Scripture. He shapes us by giving us uh, people as examples to us, people who are going to be heroes for us, who are going to inspire us and encourage us, people who we aspire to be like. So we come to Proverbs, a book of wisdom, literally part of what the Bible calls wisdom literature. The book of Proverbs is a collection of sayings. The history of this book is that uh, King Solomon uh, sent advisors throughout Israel and throughout the other uh, lands uh, to bring wisdom to him. Go and find men of learning. Go and listen to their teaching. Distill uh, their thoughts and their ideas and bring them back to me. And I will collate them together into a book. That book is the book of Proverbs. And it was to be a a manual for life. A book to guide young Israelite princes. Uh, The sons of Solomon and their sons and their sons. The people who would uh, rendezvous rule Israel. The elite, uh, the nobility. It was a kind of um, Eton or Harrow. uh, A finishing school or a prep school. uh, A guide for life. Everything a young prince needed to know so that he could be a good and just ruler. At the beginning of the book of Proverbs, we're introduced to two women. One is a woman called Wisdom, and one is a woman called Folly. Wisdom can be sought. She can be found as a beautiful woman, might be courted by an amorous young prince. But she has a rival, an adulteress called Folly, who will trap and ensnare. Which which way will the young prince go? Who will win his affections? Lady Wisdom, who will lead him to prosper? Or Folly, who will betray him And devour his wealth. What kind of life and what kind of life partner is this young prince to choose? What kind of woman should this young man marry? At a deeper level, the book of Proverbs tells us what wisdom looks like. And there's an image here in chapter 31. An image, a picture of a blessed life, a prospering life, a life that knows the favour of God. And of course, it's an idealised image. It's an an exemplary image. And it's the image of a woman. The image of a woman being faithful to God. The image of a woman being fruitful for God. The image of a woman prospering under God's hand. I wonder if, as you came in this morning, we'd done a little survey. And I said to you, who in the Old Testament would you say embodies wisdom? 
Who in the Old Testament would you say has lived a life full of God's wisdom and shown God's favour and his his blessing and has been uh, led to prosper by God? What kind of person in the Old Testament reveals the glory of God and a life lived in harmony with God? Maybe you would have pointed to a king like David, a prophet like Nathaniel, a warrior, a soldier, a leader like Gideon. But here in the book of wisdom, we see the embodiment of wisdom, not in the life of a man, but in the life of a woman. There's something deeply countercultural going on in this passage. This is a passage that scholars have argued about and discussed uh, for many years. This is a, a passage which is uh, controversial. Uh, some feminists have critiqued this passage as uh, offering up a, a picture of a woman as a possession. This is, this is women uh, commod, uh, commoditized. This is a, a woman who has somebody to be uh, traded or bought or sold, somebody who will just there to enhance the life of a man. Others have seen this passage as sort of naively idealistic, holding up yet another picture of a woman that women can never live up to. Here is a perfect woman, and no other woman can ever come close to this. I think both of those views uh, miss the point of what's going on here. This is actually a poem. You can't see it in the English, but if you were to read it in the Hebrew, you'd see that every line that we had in our reading begins with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. From A to Z, as it were. We see here a formidable woman. We see a woman at the height of her powers. We see here an idealised woman. This is not someone a young man could actually marry. She's way out of his league. Rather, it's saying this is what you want to look for in a bride. You want to look for a woman who could become this kind of woman. In fact, you want to look for a bride you're prepared to enable to become this kind of woman. She is wealthy. She has servants. She has children. This is not a picture of a woman every woman should aspire to be. Not every woman will marry. Not every woman will have children. Not every woman will be wealthy. This is a picture of a woman faithful in her context. This is a woman living a righteous life in her circumstances. We're being shown what it looks like to live as an example of wisdom embodied. This is a picture of whole life discipleship in an age very different to ours, but still informative for ours. Mark Green of the London Institute of Contemporary Christianity, the guy who uh, put together the resources that we're using in our home groups in this season of discipleship, uh, puts it like this. This is a picture of a godly woman, 
A picture that is not exhaustive, but is indicative. It doesn't exhaust what a godly life looks like, but it indicates what a godly life looks like. So how does she live a godly life? How does she live a fruitful life? How does she live a life that shows uh, the blessing and favour of God? Well, in the culture of the day, the ideal wife of a prince had basically three uh, qualities that he would look for. She would be beautiful, she would be wealthy, and she would be fertile. She'd be beautiful that she might be admired. She'd be wealthy that she would uh, enhance the wealth of his family. And she'd be fertile that she might give him heirs. A trophy wife, you might say. But this woman in Proverbs 31 is far more than a trophy for rich young men. She's worth far more than rubies. She lives a righteous life. And what does this righteous life look like? Verse 15. She gets up while it's still dark. This is a woman who works hard. Verse 22. She is resourceful. We're told she makes coverings for her own bed. She makes clothes for her children. Verse 17. She works with eager hands and there is joy in her working. Verse 16. She is a smart woman. She considers a field that she's going to buy And then she plants a vineyard in it. She makes sure it's in the right place. Is it going to be watered? Is it going to be irrigated? Is it going to get the right sun? And then she plants a vineyard. A resource for herself and for her families that will last for generations. A source of wealth for generations to come. An investment for the future. There's an ancient Greek proverb that says, A wise man plants trees whose shade he will never enjoy. She is a wise man. Verse 24. She makes linen garments and sells them. She supplies the merchants with sashes. Linen and sashes were high-value items. They were luxury goods. She is a successful businesswoman, uh, trading and generating wealth, not just for herself, but for others also. For those of you who are in business or interested in commerce, as you look through this uh, chapter, you might notice that uh, she's entrepreneurial at every stage of the business cycle. We see her sourcing raw materials. She's buying yarn. She's designing and manufacturing clothes. She's pricing them and then selling them on to merchants. And then she's reinvesting the profits in her business. 
What does a person who seeks to live a godly life, a blessed life, a life of discipleship, a life pleasing to God, do? What kind of life do they live? One of the things they can certainly do is to become a businesswoman or a businessman. One of the things they can certainly do to live a life pleasing to God, a life of uh, discipleship for God, a whole life uh, devoted to seeking his blessing and being a blessing to others, is to work in commerce or in business. And what about her character? In verse 19 and 20, we read that in her hand, she holds the distaff. I don't know what that is. If you do know, you can tell me. Uh, She holds the distaff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. She opens her arms to the poor. She extends her hands to the needy. I love this image. She closes her hands as she grips her tools. She works hard to generate wealth. And then she opens her arms to the poor. She is generous with the proceeds of her labours. She shares her wealth with those in gravest need. Her husband is honoured in the city gates. The place where the men would uh, gather and gossip and share news about what was going on in their community. Her husband is honoured. Not because of anything that he has done, at least we're not told of anything that he has done, but because of her and her success. I know the feeling. I go to a party, people ask me what I do, I tell them I'm a vicar. They look somewhat embarrassed and they look at their feet and then they quickly ask me, what does my wife do? And I say, well, she works for an international charity. And suddenly their interest picks up. It's easy to feel overwhelmed in the presence of this idealised picture of the godly life of a woman who is a good mother, a resourceful businesswoman, a faithful wife, a benefactor of the poor. But this passage isn't there to make us feel inadequate. It's there to inspire us. It's there to encourage us to greater heights of godliness, of righteous living. Verse 30 tells us the secret of her success. A woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Proverbs 1 verse 7 and Psalm 110 verse 10 both declare the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. How many of us, if asked to give an example of a life well lived in the Bible, a righteous, fruitful, uh, prospering life, a life of successful discipleship, would point to Proverbs 31? How many of us, if asked to give an example of the sort of vocation that might flow from a life thoroughly committed to God, a life of wholehearted discipleship, would suggest being a successful businesswoman 
or a successful businessman. Yet here she is, the epitome of wisdom, the epitome of a life well lived. A life of discipleship is a life devoted to seeking to please Christ and follow him in all things. It's a life lived wanting his will to be done in you and through you. But what that looks like will be different for each of us. Paul, writing to a church, tells them to run the race marked out for them. You are to run the race marked out for you. You're not to try and run my race. I'm not to try and run your race. You're not to try and live my life. I'm not to try and live your life. You're to live your life as Christ would have you live your life. There's a wonderful um, uh, uh, passage at the end of John's chapter. Peter, one of uh, Jesus' uh, faithful disciples, has betrayed Jesus and abandoned him. And and Jesus goes to seek him out. And there's this wonderful uh, reconciliation as they meet on the beach. And uh, um, uh, Peter at first is embarrassed, then he embraces uh, Jesus. And Jesus uh, challenges him again to renew his faith and his commitment in him and to follow him. And as this sort of moment is going on, as Peter is being restored and recommissioned and uh, set on a new path, uh, he notices another disciple standing a little way off. We think it's John. We're not sure, but we think it's John. And in the midst of this reconciliation, he he looks over to John and he says, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answers quite sharply. He says, what is it to you What happens to him? You follow me. Are you living the life you are called to live? Are you seeking wisdom for the challenges you face? Are you running the race marked out for you? Or are you seeking to run another race, live another life? Follow a different path. It's only in following the path marked out for you that joy and blessing and freedom will come. And what that life looks like might be different from what you think it should look like. As I said, in this uh, passage in Proverbs, we see a woman as the epitome of a life well lived. In a patriarchal society, uh, where men make all the decisions, have all the resources, uh, call all the shots, a woman, a successful businesswoman, is described as the embodiment of wisdom. What's the vocation for a woman to live a life pleasing to God? Well, this woman is not a full-time mum. She's not a nurse. She's not a counsellor. She's not a teacher. She's not a social worker. 
She's not a charity worker. She's not a lawyer uh, fighting on behalf of the poor. She is a successful businesswoman. And she is commended for that. She is a woman who can turn a profit. And she is blessed because of that. She is a well-watered tree who's been planted successfully in business and in commerce. She's glorifying God in those worlds, just as others glorify God at home or in the church. In fact, in this description of a blessed life, there's no mention of any religious activities at all. There's no mention of rotors down at the temple or groups in the synagogue, or activities in after hours. There's just one thing that is described as crucial. She fears the Lord. She's living a life well lived for him. This is an inspiration, or should be an inspiration, for all of us but particularly for those women who God has placed in business. For you, Mel, and for you, Lucy. It doesn't just have to be uh, through being a mum that you see God's favour, or being a teacher, or being a nurse, or working in a caring profession. Not just men who can do well in business, but women who can do well too. And in doing so, are fruitful and prosperous and show forth the blessing of God. Some of us need to refocus our ideas of what a life uh, fruitful for God, a life of discipleship, looks like. Who can find a noble woman? This woman is hard to find. In fact, this woman, this perfect woman, is impossible to find. But take heart. For wisdom, wisdom can be found. Again and again throughout the book of Proverbs, these young princes are encouraged to seek wisdom and to avoid folly. James, a follower of Jesus, writes this in his letter. If any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Jesus spoke again to the people, and he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He's given us his word, his instruction, his direction to encourage us, to challenge us, uh, to inspire us, to be a delight for us, that we might live lives worthy of him, that we might know his favour, that we might experience his blessing, that we might prosper and be fruitful in whatever sphere he has set us in on whatever path he has called us to walk, in whatever race he's marked out for us to run. 
Let's bow our heads in prayer. So, Father, we pray that we would take these words to heart, that we would be encouraged. Lord, that as church and as individuals, we desire to prosper, we desire to be faithful to you, we want to be wholehearted disciples of you. And Lord, we pray that by your grace, you would encourage us to turn afresh to your word and seek there the direction and the guidance that we need. Not just in commands to be followed, though important though they are, but in people who can inspire us, heroes who can be examples for us. And Lord, forgive us when we've um, moulded what discipleship looks like into a hard thing, an a, um, unyieldy thing when we've not been creative enough or open enough to what your Spirit is saying to us, when we've fixed certain ways of living, certain jobs or professions as spiritual and others as simply secular. Lord, we sang King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Help us to place the whole of life under your Lordship. Help us to live lives worthy of you, in every aspect of life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.